It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today, a very interesting one, to be sure. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, a um, leading scholar of the uh, Middle East and North Africa, um, Stephen Zunes is his name. I think that's how it's pronounced. And uh, he has just recently updated his book, Western Sahara, War, Nationalism, and Conflict, Irresolution. And we're going to talk about that and more with uh, Stephen Zunes. And then uh, in the middle of the show, the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to have an encore because of all the talk about Justice Breyer's resignation and potential nominees to replace him on the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm going to bring back an interview I did with uh, Tom Hartman, who is a New York Times best-selling author and radio host, and he does a series of books called The Hidden History Of, and uh, he was on the show to talk about his book about the Supreme Court and the uh, what he calls the betrayal of america anyway we'll hear that during the second hour but this first hour my first guest today is uh this i think is uh, i'm sure this is the first time he's been on the show although we've had uh many supporters of uh ayn rand but uh few that are official as uh, is my guest this morning former uh, or retired rather chairman of the board of the ayn rand institute and uh, preeminent, uh, well, the preeminent organization for the dissemination of Ayn Rand's ideas. He is now a distinguished fellow there. And he has a book out called The Tyranny of Need, Examining the Code of Self-Sacrifice and the Alternative of Rational, Non-Predatory Self-Interest. And I think it'll make a lot more sense to us uh, as we get talking with my guest, Peter Schwartz, who joins me by phone. Hi, Peter. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. I'm glad for the uh, opportunity to talk about this interesting subject. Indeed. Um, you know, it's interesting, and, and I'm, I'm glad... You know, I make fun of book titles these days, Peter, because it's always the tyranny of need and then all this other stuff. But... In this particular case, I'm glad the other stuff is there, examining the code of self-sacrifice and the alternative of rational, non-predatory self-interest. I think a lot of people, the ones that have heard of Ayn Rand, um, I, I think a lot of people believe that, that it's all about predatory self-interest. 
Yes, that, that's, a, that's a tragic mistake that most people make. They think that the only alternative to living your life as uh, Mother Teresa is to live your life like uh, someone like Attila the Hun or Bernie Madoff. They think selfishness means doing whatever you happen to feel like doing, climbing over other bodies, lying, cheating, killing, stealing. And that's a mistake. That's a, that, those, those actions are not pursuits of your self-interest. They are self-destructive. Bernie Madoff lived a self-destructive life. The, the genuine meaning of, of rational selfishness is to live your life by your own efforts, living it honestly, productively, dealing with other people voluntarily, by trade, giving them value for value, and not sacrificing others to yourself or yourself to others. You, you know, I've said many times on this show that I thought that the, the uh, two documents in human history that get um, misquoted and, and abused in many ways um, most frequently are the U.S. Constitution and the Holy Bible. I might have to uh, amend that and add some of Ayn Rand's writings to the list. Um, what about this, this notion that altruism is based on the teachings of Christ? Well, I think that's true. Altruism is based on the teachings of, of Christ, and, and I'm very much against them. I think that altruism is the idea that your individual life means nothing. Your life is to be subordinate to anyone who has needs that you can fulfill. If you have something that your neighbor lacks, or you have something that someone in, in uh, some other country lacks, you are morally obligated to fulfill his need because that person's needs take precedence over your own. If you spend your money, you know, money that you've honestly earned, you've been productive, you've been diligent, you've, you've established a good life for yourself, you've created wealth, you should feel guilty for every dollar you spend on yourself when there is someone down the street who has less than you and you could spend it on him. Every dollar you spend on yourself is according to the doctrine of altruism, selfish and immoral. You get moral credit only if you sacrifice yourself, if you are willing to give up something, if you are willing to suffer in order to help someone else. And that, I think, is a very uh, destructive and unjust doctrine. Let me, let me ask this. How, what would you say? I've had several guests on the show from the uh, Patriotic Millionaires. And this is a group of people who, I, I think when uh, Barack Obama was president, sent a letter to Obama saying, go ahead and tax us more. We have more money than we need, and we can certainly afford to pay higher taxes because we want to live in a place where more people know how to read, we have better roads, bridges, and so on. And, and I've talked to people, uh, Morris Perlman, I think, and, and others from that organization that, you know, that say, I'm being greedy when I want to pay more taxes because I want these better things in my community. Well, that's a kind of very perverse way of, of going about it. If, if these people 
have the wealth and they think they actually want better bridges and better roads, let them voluntarily take their money, go hire a contractor, uh, build, build roads. Taxation means the government puts a gun to your head and says, you must hand over your money and we're going to decide how to dispose of it. It's your money. You're entitled to keep it. You're entitled to do with it what you, what you like. Now, if they think they are being, quote, greedy because they want their money used to create something beneficial, beneficial to them, that's fine. It's their money. They should be entitled, morally entitled, to use it in a way that furthers their own lives and their own values. The whole idea of altruism is the opposite. The idea of altruism, which they're being influenced by, is that you have to stop caring about your interests, your goals, your happiness. That's selfish. Give that up. Live a life of selflessness. Live a life where your concerns and your happiness are subordinated to the needs and demands of others, which means live a life in which you are a servant to the needs of other people. That's what, that's what this group is. In, it, it, that's the kind of uh, ethics that this group of millionaires is endorsing. Do you think that's, um, well, how, how would you address people that claim, um, as I mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, Peter, um, that they're, they're getting this message from, from Christ, or it could be another religion other than Christianity, that um, sacrificing yourself for the benefit of others is somehow holy. Um, yeah. What, do you say that they're just that they're wrong in their faith? Yes, completely. I'm. I'm. I, they're, they're, you're correct in saying that this idea of altruism comes primarily and originally from religion, particularly Christianity, and that that does not make it right. In my view, that's what adds to its 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 evil effects. Christianity wants people to surrender, to sacrifice, to renounce, to give up. My view is that your life is precious. Your life is yours. You should live it. You should live it, as I said, honestly, without uh, being a parasite or a predator of other people. You should live your life by your own efforts, by your own mind, without sacrificing others to yourself. And religion demands the opposite. Religion is a demand for sacrifice, and it's a terrible injustice. People have to reject that. Not, the, the, the fact that it comes from religion only adds to the problem, because let me add this point uh, to clarify that. Please. In my view, the, the idea of rational self-interest, which as you mentioned, comes from uh, Ayn Rand's uh, philosophy of objectivism, which, which I agree with, which I agree with. The idea of rational self-interest means you have a life, you have to discover what is necessary to sustain it, what is necessary to keep alive, what is, it, what is necessary to keep improving my life, and the way you do that is by using your mind, your rational faculty. We don't have instincts automatically built in the way animals do. We have to discover how our lives are, are to be sustained and how to, how to flourish. 
you need to use your mind to figure those things out, to discover how to grow food, how to build shelter, how to discover, how to, uh, discover medicines, uh, how to build a, a, a spaceship to go to the moon. All these things are the products of a rational mind devoted to finding the means by which your life can be uh, sustained and, and flourish. Religion and faith preach the opposite. They, they, they preach, don't go by your rational judgment. Don't use reason to discover what is true or false or what is right and wrong. Have faith. Surrender your mind to the authority of others, whether it's God or society or whatever the authority is. The Faith is the opposite of reason, and that means faith is the opposite of pursuing your rational self-interest. So I think in, in religion is a, a very harmful influence on people in the culture. Is there in Ayn Rand's teachings any um, recognition of a higher power? You mean a higher mystical supernatural power? No. There is no supernatural. The, there, there's reality out there. And reality is what we use our, our brains to perceive and explain and improve. But the idea of some mystical thing that you can't grasp, that you have to simply accept on faith, that's antithetical to everything that human life requires. The idea of that there's, whether it's faith in some supernatural being, or in faith healing, or in voodoo, whatever the mysticism is, it, that is the, the opposite of what human life requires. Peter, I am so glad to have you on the show, because so often I think um, Ayn Rand and, and her writing, all, although unexplored by the people who do this, um, is characterized as justification for bad behavior. Yes, that, that, that's the um, kind of the straw man that uh, the, the, the real firm preachers of, at, of altruism have constructed. They, they, they don't want to have to argue against genuine rational selfishness. So they create this straw man and say, well, selfishness means... You do whatever you feel like doing. If you like killing people, that's okay. If you like robbing a few banks, that's okay. That's what selfishness is. And that's ridiculous. That's not selfishness. That's self-destructive behavior. A truly selfish person is uh, someone, as I said, who lives by moral principles and is committed to an honest, productive, self-respecting life. That is in, in his genuine long-term self-interest. He doesn't... Yes, go ahead. I, I, I need to put a comma here because I have to go to a break, and I want to talk okay. about this some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes? Sure. All right. My guest is Peter Schwartz, author of The Tyranny of Need and uh, a distinguished fellow at the uh, Ayn Rand Institute. We're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in, and we'll be Hello right back. Hello everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with a distinguished fellow from the uh, Ayn Rand Institute and author of a new book called The Tyranny of Need, Examining the Code of Self-Sacrifice and the Alternative of Rational, Non-Predatory Self-Interest. His name is Peter Schwartz. He joins me by phone. Peter, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. That's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> and I appreciate that. As, as I mentioned in the last segment, we were talking about how um, Ayn Rand is um, known but not often understood, and uh, it's, it's nice to have somebody that can explain um, not only your new book, The Tyranny of Need, but uh, some of her writings as well. Um, Peter, what about the idea that that humans tend to group themselves into community? How does that work in uh, um, in, in in a world uh, um, steered by non-predatory self-interest? It, it works very well. Why do you think people do that? Why why do people form uh, societies? It's because it furthers their lives. It, it's better to live in a society, in an organized society, where you can each person can produce uh, uh, goods, uh, products, uh, services, and trade with one another so that everyone in it is better off. But you don't want to live in a society where everyone is at each other's throat, where everyone's got a gun and, and is demanding yet you hand over whatever you've got. That's, that's a, not a society. That's a, that's a criminal game. And when a, a society is ruled by altruism, that's what it is in effect. In other words, altruism says if you have a need, you are morally entitled to have that need fulfilled by someone who has more than you do. So when the government adopts that philosophy, which is the philosophy underlying our welfare state, what it does is it takes from you and says, you've got money that you've earned. The guy across the street has less money. We're going to take it away from you and give it to him. That is not a recipe for um, a harmonious relationship among people. A society exists when each individual member in it benefits by being able to deal with his neighbor voluntarily by mutual agreement rather than by the idea that you have to give what, whatever you have to someone who, who lacks it. What then is the role of government? Well, that's a good question. If, if, if not to be what many call a welfare state, what is their alternative as an organizing structure? Yes, that's a good question. That, that, that's an important point for people to understand. There definitely is a need for government. Anarchism is not a proper system. Anarchism results in destruction, so you need government. But what does government do? Government is there to allow you to live your life without interference. You have certain rights. Each individual 
has a life. You have a right to produce the and go after the values that you've decided are necessary to sustain your life. So, you know, you go out, you get a job, uh, you, you, you find someone you want to live with, uh, you find a career you want to pursue. Uh, all of that is what you are entitled to do, and the only way that that can be interfered with is if somebody puts a gun to your head and says, you can't do it. You've earned money. A, a, a gunman comes over, a crook comes over, says, hand it over. That's what government has to prevent. Government has to prevent the use of force, the initiation of force by someone against you. So we have a, a police force, for example, which stops criminals who are threatening your rights. Government exists to stop the crime. We have courts that exist to put criminals in jail. We have a military that exists to stop foreign criminals from initiating force, from invading us, from attacking us. But the sole function of government is to protect individual rights by using force only, only in retaliation against those who initiate it. Now, if there's no initiation of force, if you're living peacefully, you're dealing with your neighbor by voluntary agreement, there's no, then government has no role. It has no role in telling you what school you have to um, uh, go to, uh, send your kids to, has no role in telling you how to set aside money for your retirement, has no role in telling you what medicines you may or may not take. As long as you are acting voluntarily without using force against someone else, there's no role for government. When someone does initiate force, that's when you need government to step in. Peter, when you mention that, that people have certain rights, are those inherent, or are you talking about, uh, uh, well, I, I, I don't want to ask if you're talking about um, the Constitution of the United States or the Bill of Rights, but um, are those rights handed down by some document like the Constitution, or? No, that, that's... That's the wrong way to look at it. They, those rights are recognized by the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, which are very important documents. But they don't confer rights on you. They don't create the rights. They recognize the fact that as a human being, there's a, you, you've made a basic choice. You've decided, I'm going to live. It doesn't come automatically. It requires certain actions. Every person decides, I want to live, and once you're in an organized society, the, the only threat to that choice to live, as I said, is if someone forcibly interferes with it. So you have, if you are able to choose to live, it means you have a right to be free from the coercion that someone might inflict upon you to prevent you from living. The rights that you have are there by your nature as a human being. They're not, you know, they don't come down from some uh, supernatural edict. They don't come from society. They don't come from documents. They come from your nature as a human being and the fact that you must use your mind in order to live 
And the only way to prevent your mind from functioning, from making judgments, is if someone uses force against you. So you have a right to be free from force. And the documents in the, in the United States, which were extraordinary uh, when, when they were first formulated, recognize this fact and recognize the, the idea that the government is there to keep you from being interfered with. It doesn't exist to transfer your money to somebody else or, or your efforts to somebody else. It exists to let you live your life because you have a right to it. Well, Peter, I've, I've acknowledged two schools of thought on that. One that, that say that the, uh, the, the Constitution is supposed to be a restraint on government from interfering with people's rights. And, yeah. and then there seems to be another group who believe that the Constitution um, sets in motion a, a government that, that provides some sort of uh, balance for all people. Well, uh, I don't know what you mean by balance for all people. Well, I, and I'm, I'm thinking about distribution of wealth. I see. Is, well, is how words, they look at it, is that somehow the Constitution justifies or sets in motion a welfare state. Well, there, there are many deficiencies, unfortunately, in the Constitution. And even in the original Declaration of Independence, there are deficiencies in it. But the essential thrust of those documents was to create an entirely new conception of the role of government. It, it, it it's established the idea that we ha the individual has a right, has a right to life, to liberty, to the pursuit of his own happiness. Those were radical concepts at the time. And it created... The, a system, a, a, a system of government where government was simply the servant of the uh, people and existed solely to allow them to lead, live their lives as, as well as, as their own abilities could take them. The government did not exist uh, to distrib redistribute wealth, which means the government didn't exist to put a, a gun to your head and say, you have to turn over your, your money to somebody else. That's the role of a thief. That's not the role of a government. And the, you're, you're right that there were many and are many deficiencies in, in the way the Constitution is written, particularly in the way that it's interpreted. And over, for the past you know, century at least or more, it's been interpreted to mean that the government has the, the authority to take from one person in order to fulfill the needs of another. And that is, at root, the doctrine of altruism, which is creating this false interpretation, and it's the doctrine of altruism that people have to reject if they want a genuine free, uh, a, a freedom-loving society where government is restricted and, and limited to the function of using force only to protect you when you've been attacked. Peter, you said there's there's no real conflict between public interest and private interests. Um, yes. What then, how did, 
we become so knotted in, in division, and how do we untie that knot? Well, let's start from the end, from the, the, the last thing you said. How, do we, uh, how did we become so embroiled in, in social conflict, and how do we get out of it? I, I think at root it's exactly the opposite of the remedy that most people offer if you ask most of our political or social leaders, they would say the problem is we have all this social conflict. People aren't, people aren't altruistic enough. We have to be more altruistic, and that will create harmony. And it's the exact opposite. It's the, the concept, it's the, the idea of altruism that is creating inevitable conflict, because think about it. If you work hard and you've got a nice house, you've got a nice car, you've got two cars, you've got nice clothing, you've earned it all, yet altruism says they're not yours. They're not really yours. They, the, the, the person who lacks them is morally entitled to them. You are not morally entitled to it because that's selfish. Only the person who doesn't have it, the person who hasn't worked for it for whatever reason, hasn't achieved what you have, he is entitled to what you've achieved. Now, how is that not a recipe for constant conflict? Every time somebody declares he's got a need or some group says they have a need and they, they've got lobbyists in, in the government that uh, listen to them and say, okay, the public interest requires we fulfill people's needs. The public interest requires that you pay for your neighbor's college tuition or for his uh, health insurance or for his mortgage. All of that is mandated by the philosophy of altruism, and all of that creates inevitable conflict. The way to eliminate conflict, the way to, re to, to create a society in which people live in harmony is by understanding that each person's life is his own. No one is a servant to someone else just because that someone else has needs. If you are entitled, morally entitled, to live an autonomous life, then the, your dealings with your neighbors are voluntary. You want to trade with someone, that's fine. You want to engage in charity, which is perfectly acceptable in, in under certain conditions. I engage in charity when per someone deserves it. That's okay, too. But there's no conflict. The only conflict arises when you have a doctrine that says someone who lacks what you have is, has a moral claim against you and is entitled to have you give it away. That's right. what creates conflict. What, where does the, the concept of trickle-down economics fit in all this? Uh, that's a very vague concept. That's really a, a pejorative term designed to uh, um, disparage or criticize capitalism. Capitalism, I'm in favor of complete laissez-faire capitalism, as, as you can uh, assume no <laughs> <laughs> but the people who attack it um, characterize it as well capitalism is the idea that we allow people at the very top to get very rich 
and we hope that it all, you know, some of their wealth trickles down to the poor people at the bottom of the social ladder. Now, that is a, a, a ridiculous uh, description of what happens under capitalism. If you leave people free, everyone is wealthier. If you leave people free, it means they are free to produce the wealth by their efforts for their own lives. Whatever your abilities are, as you, if you, your abilities uh, uh, don't allow you to be more than a janitor or your abilities allow you to be a, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, whatever your abilities are in a free society, you are allowed to uh, pursue your talents and, 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 and go as far as they, they, your talents take you um, under a, a capitalist system. Wealth doesn't, you know, quote, trickle down. It gushes down. As if you look at history, when the Industrial Revolution started and capitalism took hold in the 19th century, you had unprecedented wealth across society. The poorest person in the United States was richer than 99% of the people across the globe who didn't have a system of capitalism. So it's not, this trickle-down is, a, is a, a disparaging straw man designed to, to obscure the fact that under capitalism, everybody gets as rich as his abilities allow him to be, and no one is permitted to interfere with it. Um, Peter, this is, uh, I, I don't mean for this to seem as off the track as it might, but um, could you tell me a little bit about the Ayn Rand Institute? Sure, that's not off the track. Uh, the, the Ayn Rand Institute is, is a, an organization, basically an educational nonprofit organization, which is designed to spread the ideas of Ayn Rand, of her philosophy, which she called objectivism. So the institute holds lectures, uh, it publishes articles, it publishes books, it holds conferences. It engages in the intellectual activity of trying to expose Ayn Rand's ideas and her books to as wide an audience as possible. That's essentially what the Institute does. And, and by the way, if, if people are interested, it's that they can get it at it's AynRand.org. A-Y-N-R-A-N-D.org. I, I was just going to ask that, Peter, because uh, we, we've got about five minutes left, and I always want to make sure that guests get an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we're talking about, um, your book, your work, Past, Present, and Future, the Institute, and so on. Yes, and if the, I can just interject, if they want to find out more about my work and my writings and my book, they could go to peterschwartz.com. PeterSchwartz.com. I, I was just going to. Uh, I was just going to ask that. How was Ayn Rand received when uh, when she first began writing? Well, you can imagine it, the the intellectual atmosphere at the time was totally antithetical to her ideas. I mean, here's someone who presents a radical philosophy that says. Reason is man's means, sole means of knowledge, as against all of these philosophers who said, we can't know, ever know what's true, we can't ever know what's right, our senses deceive us, our mind deceives us. And then she said her ethics was rational self-interest, again, in the face of the cultural atmosphere of altruism and self-sacrifice, 
she was challenging the tradition, the 2,000-year-old tradition, which largely was launched by uh, Christianity, a, a tradition of faith, self-sacrifice, and she said no, reason and, and egoism, reason and, and rational self-interest and individualism are the proper principles man should live by. So she was, she was loudly uh, denounced and condemned by the intellectual culture, yet among the uh, population, among the, uh, you know, most of the people, her books sold tremendously. I mean, her books were bestsellers. They still sell over 100,000 copies a year today. So she is popular among people and very unpopular among the leading intellectuals. <laughs> uh, I, there, there's something that seems almost poetic about that, Peter. Um, but let, let me let me ask this. Winston Churchill said uh, democracy was the worst form of government except for all the others. Um, has there been a time in human history when organizationally we were we were getting it right? Well, let me quickly before I answer, let me quickly say democracy is not the system that we have or that the country was founded on. Fair democracy enough. democracy means unlimited majority rule. And what we have is a constitutional republic where our rights are protected even if the majority should happen to say, you know, you have no right to free speech, that is the constitution protects it. That's, that's so I wouldn't call it a democracy. But in terms of history, there, the, the closest we came to a, a fully free society was uh, in the United States in the beginning of the 19th century. Then government was limited. It wasn't, it wasn't perfect. It was far from perfect. It, but it was limited, certainly compared to today. And people were generally free to pursue their own values, their own goals, and their own lives. They, they were free to implement the, the, the Declaration of Independence's um, dictum that you have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But that faded uh, at the end of the 19th century, in the 20th certainly, and, and the 21st. We've become more and more statist. With the government's powers have, have increased, and the individual sphere of rights have diminished, and, and we're headed in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Well, Peter, um, I, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. And as, like I said in the very beginning of our conversation at the top of the hour, um, I've had a number of people on the show who support the the um, thinking and writing of uh, Ayn Rand and, and you and, and others, and then a number of people who just seem to... to not understand it very well and uh, I, I think it's important to understand all of these things better and I appreciate you spending time with me and the listeners this morning thank you so well, much well thank you I enjoyed this I don't enjoy all my interviews but I enjoyed this one thanks for the opportunity Tom all right take care and keep up the good work okay thank you bye-bye bye-bye Again, that was Peter Schwartz. He is uh, retired chairman of the board of the Ayn Rand Institute and currently a distinguished fellow there. His uh, new book, The Tyranny of Need, uh, examining the code of self-sacrifice and the alternative of rational 
non-predatory self-interest by, again, Peter Schwartz. And we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in, and we'll be back with more right after this. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. 
Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Senator, it is our pleasure to speak with you here tonight. As Republican Minority Leader in the Senate, your views on affairs of state and on the political scene are always in demand. Senator, what's new? Well, if I gave you a direct answer, it would be almost a prejudgment of an issue on which testimony is still to be taken. (laughs) Senator, your political flamboyance is such that when coupled with your flowery oratory, there are those among the opposing party who say that you are actually nothing but a buffoon. I do not disagree. (laughs) Senator, I wonder if we can get some insight on your colorful career. Well, I know of no reason why we shouldn't. Well, then, why did you decide to become a United States Senator? Because that was my first job after I got out of high school. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Van Voorhees. Now, Senator, not to bring up a sore point, but you did nominate Mr. Goldwater in Chicago, did you not? So to speak. <laughs> Senator, are you denying it? I think so. <laughs> well, regardless... What do you think Mr. Goldwater and Mr. Miller should do during the coming years? I think they can very usefully get a lot of indoctrination by going to any party county headquarters, stuffing envelopes, getting to see people, develop a poise uh, as they see candidates and others come in, uh, run errands and so forth, familiarize themselves with party organization and machinery, and then it becomes part of their nature and it makes for uh, adeptness in the political field. Mr. Swayze. Senator, do you think the Republican Party will stage a comeback in 1968? I know of no reason why it should. In your own mind, do you see a candidate emerging for 1968? No, I don't. Well, then, where do you think the Republican candidate will come from in 1968? Out of the woodwork. Senator, how are the Democrats reacting to the news that Mr. Goldwater may step down as head of the Republican Party? They resent it, and they resent it bitterly. Continue the questioning now with Mr. St. Ledger. Senator, there's a move afoot to curtail the filibuster. I think I can say this. Excuse me, are my eyes deceiving me, or is that a naked girl sitting up there on the Senate balcony? I think one can say reasonably that this has occupied the attention of the Senate since the 9th of January. Looking back, Senator, over your career, has there been one outstanding statement that you've made to your colleagues in your many years in the Senate? 
there has been. May I ask what it was? Little Tom Thumb pulled out a plum, as you know. We noticed that you were conspicuous by your absence at the Washington Senator's opening game this year, an event which normally attracts the political leaders of both parties. Why was that? First, I had not been invited. Secondly, I, there was no hint that I would be invited. We, we understand. Third, I was not invited by anybody. <laughs> uh, we're a little short of time, sir. Fourth, I would not go if I was invited. No, we, we understand. There were two reasons why I wouldn't go. It wasn't an important question, sir. My Senate duties here are taxing enough as it is, and they are continuous. I would not like to see the implication go out. Uh, we have been talking with the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, we're sure he has enjoyed it as much as we have. I don't think so. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
singing the same old song. Well, keep getting smaller, not just hard to play. What's in the ground ain't all that safe there, and the price we can't afford to pay. Telling you.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.